0: Thank you, Martin family, for that ministry in music. If you haven't received a handout, we encourage you to, to get one. We are in Psalm 19 tonight. You may be wondering why we're in Psalm 19. Well, Psalm, we did the first six. Psalm 7 is written out of a specific situation that's recorded in 2 Samuel, and it's really helpful to understand the historic background. So I decided to do Psalm 7 when we were in that section of 2 Samuel that covers the particular history of Psalm 7. Psalm 8, our brother Leroy Herb uh, spoke on just uh, very recently, did a fine job. So you heard Psalm 8, those of you who come to prayer meeting, And uh, so as I was thinking about uh, just working our way through the Psalms, I'm not going to do all of them. So I decided to go to Psalm 19, and we're going to be looking now at some of the more familiar psalms. Uh, I think they're more familiar because people have found them to be very helpful, and so uh, I'm going to be uh, jumping around now as we look at uh, the book of Psalms. So tonight, Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19 is an ode to general And special revelation. Introduction. God has made himself known. God reveals himself to us. Definition of revelation is revelation is the disclosure of that which is previously unknown. uh, That uh, one cannot know without it being disclosed. Definition of general revelation. General revelation is that revelation of God which comes to all people. General revelation comes in two ways. It is the revelation of God which comes through nature, and the revelation of God, which comes through the human conscience. And Romans chapter 1 deals in great detail about creation, and that which can be learned of God from creation. Chapter 2 of Romans deals with the whole subject of the conscience and what can be learned of God as a result of the human conscience, which we all have a conscience. The Bible speaks actually of five different uh, states of conscience, conscience, the conscience, Uh, we can have a good conscience, we can have a pure conscience, we can have a defiled conscience, we can have a seared conscience, but I'm going to go on all the consciences tonight, it's not about conscience, but uh, it's a fascinating study of that which will be made known by by the uh, conscience, but uh, tonight we look at Psalm 19, it doesn't speak to the conscience, it speaks to general revelation in terms of creation, and it speaks to special revelation in terms of the word of God. So definition of special revelation. Special revelation is that revelation of God that comes through the special means of God's self-disclosure. The self-disclosure can come in forms of dreams, visions, and ultimately the scriptures. So the theme. Tonight we're going to consider the revelation that God comes from nature and the surpassing revelation of God that comes through the scriptures. First, the value of general revelation that is found in creation. God's creation speaks... To us, In quotes, it doesn't literally speak, of course, uh, but it does communicate to us. And uh, notice the words that, that uh, teach us that. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, again, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. And then verse 2. Day into day pours out speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. So it declares, it proclaims, it speaks. Creation has something to say to us, if you will. The creation reveals the magnificence of God. For it tells us in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The glory of God. Uh, it specifically, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, it, it tells us that it re- reveals his eternal power and Godhead. and uh, so it reveals his magnificence. The creation reveals that there is a creator. That was declared the glory of God. the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, it uh, demonstrates the fact that there really was a creator, that someone had to make all of this. And uh, we live in a period of time in which there are people that deny that. Uh, that uh, believe in a self-existing universe that uh, was not brought into being by a powerful uh, (coughs) and uh, knowing God, but rather, as I say, is uh, eternal in and of itself, that this creation always existed. But I would uh, simply... uh, direct you to the many cultures around the world and of all times. And uh, while there are atheists in this world, uh, we have not actually discovered an atheistic culture. Uh, But uh, even the most primitive cultures have some kind of belief in a God, Uh, certainly not the God of the Bible, but they recognize that there is some entity some being that has something to do with the creation in which they live. And uh, D, the revelatory work of creation extends to all people at all times. The Creation is a continual source of revelation about God. Verse 2, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. It's, it's continual. never ceases, 24-7. Uh, it is always on display. You can look up during the day, see the sun, uh, see the beautiful waterfalls, et cetera, et cetera, look look into the starry hosts. Uh, It continually proclaims the reality of a God. Two, the revelatory work extends to all peoples and languages. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So general revelation transcends the limitations of speech. You don't have to translate that which creation teaches. Uh, You don't have to know a certain language to be able to understand what creation teaches. It surpasses the limits of speech. Thirdly, the revelatory work of creation extends to all places. Verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth, And their words to the end of the world. So there is no unreached people group when it comes to general revelation. We are concerned about reaching the unreached when it comes to the gospel. But when it comes to what the creation teaches, it extends around the globe. So there is no place that is unreached when it comes to general revelation. Uh, Everyone has access to that revelation of God wherever they live. And the fourth, the revelatory work of creation sheds light on all people. Their voices go out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's talking about the sunrise, and is talking about how it sheds light, understanding of who God is and of his goodness. E. The revelatory work of creation renders mankind without excuse. Psalm nineteen six. The rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. It's heat. So there is a conviction That comes, a conviction that comes. Uh, This is referred to in Romans a little bit more fully. Uh, I purposely did not go into all of Romans tonight. Uh, It's a temptation, but resisted it. But I did want to say this For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That means they hold it down, They, 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 they resist the truth by means of their unrighteousness. Unrighteously, they resist, okay? The, the thought here is that there is a willingly, there is a willingness to simply overlook what is revealed in creation. People don't want to see it. Uh, Einstein is famous for saying that, uh, Without God, there is no explanation of creation, but his thought of God is repulsive. He doesn't like to think that there is a God, although he says, without a God, it's incomprehensible. So at the one hand, he's saying there must be one, but he doesn't want anybody anything to do with it. He d- doesn't want to uh, acknowledge uh, who God is. And so it says, Verse 19, because that which is known of God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, though you cannot see God, nonetheless, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that they're without excuse. Or without excuse. And when it says they're without excuse, it's, it's not the fact that they have the gospel which is the conclusion here, while generalization is very important for it reveals the reality of god 's existence and power, it does not reveal the message of salvation. so what is it that they are guilty of? well the answer to that is that they know that there is a God, they know that he should be served, and whatever their concept is of God and whatever their, knowledge, their understanding of what it is to serve God, however they think about that, whatever rules and stipulations they come to that has nothing to do with scripture, just looking at the creation whatever their concept is of God whatever they come to believe about that God and serving that God, none of them lives up to the standard that they set so mankind by and that comes to You have to get to chapter 2 for this also, for conscience. The idea is that which they have erroneously thought about God, nonetheless, even in that erroneous, limited knowledge of God, they are still guilty for not living up to that which they have come to know about God. Well, two, the surpassing value of special revelations found in God's Word. Obviously, we all know that there's greater benefits to God's word than there is of, of revelation. But we don't want to uh, minimize the importance of general revelation, of creation. But it pales in relationship to the word of God. So we have the value of God's special revelation. And I'm uh, just using these underlying words tonight and drawing your attention to them. It's described, and we'll look at it in more detail in a moment, but as perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then the benefits... The fear of the Lord is perfect, revives the soul. Testimony is sure, here's the benefit, makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, here's the benefit, rejoicing the heart. Command, of the Lord is pure, here's the benefit, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, here's the benefit, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, here's the benefit, and righteous altogether. A slightly more in-depth consideration of the correlation between the surpassing value and benefits of special revelation. I have here a note that each of the thoughts come in the form of a couplet. The benefits of God's word flow out of the value of God's word. So we want to look at these couplets. The first. The word of God surpasses the value of general relation because it is complete. The law of the Lord is perfect. The word perfect here means to be complete. To be complete. In Second Timothy, chapter 3, and you all know these verses, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you have a King James, of course, you know that says perfect, equipped for every good work. The idea here is that you have all that you need. The word of God is complete. It has everything that we need to know about God there is nothing that we need in order to be right with God order of salvation order to know how to live righteously before God there is no other book there is no other source of wisdom that is necessary for us to know all that we need to know about our relationship to God it's complete It's complete general revelation is sketchy at best. It doesn't give us any details about how to live, etc., but the scriptures do. Secondly, the word of God surpasses the benefit of general revelation because it's able to bring the message of salvation. The law of the Lord is perfect, and now says this, reviving the soul. Uh, King James says, the, of, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul converting the soul. The Word of God is able to bring a knowledge of salvation. It is able to declare the lostness of mankind, the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how that through faith in him that you can have this eternal relationship with God, having experienced the forgiveness of sins, and enjoy peace with God. That's only found in the word. But this concept is an interesting one for it says it it revives the soul. King James says it converts the soul. Um, So it's, it's more than just that the word of God is able to give information. It's more than it's able to impart knowledge which it certainly does, and teaches us the truths about God and the truths of salvation. But this verse is actually saying it's effectual. It has a result. It accomplishes something. And of course, the Bible is filled with that thought. The idea that my word will not return void, but accomplish the purpose for unto I have sent it. Psalm 10. Uh, excuse me, Romans 10, 14 uh, and following says this. How then shall they call on him whom they have not heard? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, It is the word of God that produces faith. That it is an agent of salvation and i won't get into a lot of detail here but in theological circles when it comes to apologetics that is defending the scriptures defending the truth there are two major camps theologically when it comes to the whole issue of apologetics and Just breaking it down very simply, there is what is referred to as presuppositional apologetics and non presuppositional apologetics. And the difference is simply this presuppositional apologetics says the greatest way in which you can prove the reality and the truth of the Word of God is to proclaim the Word of God, that it is self evidentiary, that it produces faith that if you preach the gospel, the elect will believe and repent. And of course, the non-elect won't. Then the other school, the other camp, says, no, the word of God is not self-evidencing. You need something else. You need to demonstrate the reality. You need to demonstrate that the word of God is is true. So you look for proofs, whether that be... uh, Philosophical proofs, whether that be historical proof and and looking at different events of history, et cetera, et cetera. That is not to say that there isn't any place for that form of apologetics. But in my belief, that really is only valuable for the Christian, for us to understand the reality that the history. The scriptures are historically true, and they are accurate, and it's valuable to think through the philosophical arguments. It, It bolsters, it encourages, it helps. But the bottom line is, that's not what's going to convince an unsaved person to become saved. It's the word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the preaching of the the Scriptures. And I'm spending time here because this is a hotly debated issue in our particular period of time in which we are living. And there is actually the thought that you better not be too clear on the Gospel because you are going to turn people off. You better not make the Scriptures real plain or people are, are going to be offended and, and they don't want anything to do with it. You you better enter into this whole discussion very discreetly <laughs> over an extended period of time, win them over, get them to like you, uh, make them feel comfortable with you, gain their, their confidence so that they, they believe that you are sincere, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to go through all these steps in order to Get a person to the place where they're going to be willing to listen. And then you're hoping that you've prepared their heart well enough that they're not going to turn it away. Well, I'm not saying we need to be rude. I'm not saying we shouldn't be friends to people. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is what brings people to faith. And I think it's a a tool of the evil one. To keep Christians from simply witnessing. Because they are afraid of turning people off. More than they are confident that the word of God is going to bring people to a saving knowledge. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway. It converts the soul. It rejoices the heart. Number three, the word of God surpasses the value of general revelation because it is more trustworthy. While the Lord is perfect, re- finding the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, is sure. Um, in 2 Peter one nineteen and 20, if you know the passage, it's Peter talking about his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Having seen and heard uh, what was said on the Mount, he goes on to say, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, that, that there is something that is more valuable than Peter's own experience of the Mount of Trans- Transfiguration. Where until you do well that you take heed is unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn." And they start rising in your hearts, knowing this first: that no prophecy of the scriptures is about any private interpretation, meaning that you can't get it wrong. You can't get it wrong. Um, I am sure that you have heard some person at some time, when you are talking about the scriptures, will say, "Well, that's your interpretation." Right? Has anybody ever heard well that's your interpretation that's your interpretation that's the way you read it that's not the way I read it the scripture says it's a no private interpretation and that has a very full orbed sense in uh, second Peter it's talking about the way that it came it's talking about how the the uh, people who spoke the word of God, it wasn't just their view, it wasn't just Luke's take, and it wasn't just John's take, it wasn't just, it wasn't just uh, Peter's take, but God revealed it to them. So it wasn't just their recalling the circumstances and events that they went through, such as the Mount of Transfiguration, and just sharing their reminiscences of what happened. No, the Holy Spirit, has provided the word of God so that it is without error. So it is not limited by human abilities and knowledges. And so our whole definition of inspiration in our articles of faith talk about how it comes through human agents, but their humanness does not limit the scriptures in any way, so that it is free from error of thought, doctrine, and judgment. It's without error. Well, this same Holy Spirit that gives the Word of God is the same Holy Spirit that enables us to understand the Word of God. And enables us to understand the word of God in such a way that we can say this is what it says. The uh, reformers referred to this as the perspicuity of the scriptures. Perpiscuity of the scriptures. It's a fancy word to say. It's clear. It's clear. So when Martin Luther stood up and said here I stand, I can do no other. he could say, it's clear. This is what the scriptures teach. And everything else is a smokescreen. It really is. It's a smokescreen. Now, we need to have humility as we approach the scriptures. Does that mean we can never be wrong? No. No. But if we are teachable, and if we are willing to allow the scripture to be our authority... Then we can look at the scripture and we can say, does my reasoning line up with what the word of God says? Am I making a mistake in the way in which I'm looking at this particular portion of God's word? Am I misunderstanding a word? Have I missed the concept here? We can talk, we can dialogue about what the word of God says and realize it's not just you have your opinion and I have my opinion. It's not like... Where's the best place to eat supper? It is objectively true. And again, in this postmodern era, that is something that is extremely highly debated. And people are going to a place where saying, of course, you can make the Bible say anything you want, and there's no place for doctrine and all these other things. Well, one of the benefits is that it is. Uh, trustworthy. Number four, the word of God surpasses the benefit of general revelation because it gives wisdom to the uninitiated or easily led astray. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the testament of the Lord is sure. Now this statement, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Now, in the scripture, The simple are not the stupid. They are the uninitiated. These are people that just don't know. That just don't know. That that just haven't been exposed to the scriptures, haven't been exposed to God's truth. And the idea here is that it is able to uh, later we're going to say enlighten the eyes. It's able to give understanding. It's comprehensible. So that even children can understand the scriptures and can grow and they can learn more fully what the word of God has to say. Uh, Makes wise the simple. And here's the condemnation in Romans chapter 121 and twenty-two. Because that which they knew what they knew God they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations their foolish heart was darkened Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, and to four footed beasts and creeping things. So it's saying the foolishness is in worshiping the creation of, of birds, trees, that these are your gods, okay? But we all know that birds and Trees are part of creation. They are not the source of creation. They are not adequate representations of who God is. And so what people do, because they don't want to submit to the scriptures, is they contradict the scriptures. So now we're back to this whole aspect of interpreting the scriptures, and making them say anything they didn't want to say. The reality is that all too often, people don't want to believe what it says. They, they don't want to accept what it says. They, they don't want to adopt what it says. They, they don't want to live by what it says. So they go back to the same old question that the serpent asked Eve. When, remember when Eve said, we may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Remember what he said? Somebody good and loud? Hath God said? Remember that? Hath God said? Did God really say to you that you couldn't eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil? The oldest trick in the book, it's a pun. The oldest trick in the scriptures is for Satan to get us to doubt the authority of the Word of God in its practical application. You may not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we all know that then she added to what God said and said, you may not touch it, which he did not say. And so you have all this problem of what people do when it comes to interpreting the scriptures. Number five, the word of God surpasses the value of generation because it is immensely profitable, profitable or useful. In verse 8, it says the precepts of the word are right, rejoicing the heart. The word translated right here means to be fitting or appropriate. Thus comes the idea of profitable or useful. It is right in terms of what it has to say, not in the sense that it is uh, wrong. It's right in the sense that, <clears throat> you know, you pick up a, a wrench, a 9 a 5 an inch and a quarter. Well, if you pick up the wrench and it fits the nut, it's the right wrench. It's profitable. It's useful. The word of God, when applied accurately, is useful, valuable when you are putting it to the right use. So, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so it is applicable. Number six, the word of God surpasses the benefit of general revelation because it brings satisfaction. Rejoicing the heart. Uh, the NIV says that the precepts are right, giving joy to the heart. A, a beautiful sunset can bring a sense of wonder, awe, and beauty to the heart. You know, it's, it's really... Sometimes, we've all had this experience of just looking up at the stars and having this sense of awe, this sense of, of wonder. Uh, you look at a beautiful sunset and you say, wow, aren't those, isn't that sunset just gorgeous? The other day, I was driving in the car and Bonnie said, look at the clouds. <laughs> and they were just like they were painted you know. Uh, there. They were just so, so beautiful. And you look at, creation and sometimes you just step back and you say wow this it's really really incredible or you watch a hurricane and you see it's destructive power all these things and it creates fear you're worried about your house blowing away and all these things that can happen uh, creation can make you come up short but the word of God word of God brings a sense of confidence, contentment resolution, hope joy to the heart it uh, rejoices the heart it is able to transform us our fears our doubts our concerns the word of God can speak peace to our souls number seven the word of God surpasses the value of general revelation because it contains no air it's pure it's pure The command of the Lord is pure. The concept of pure is to be unmingled or uncontaminated. The truth of God's word is not contaminated with air in any form. The data of general revelation can be much more easily be misread than the words of scripture. Although scripture can be abused as well. 2 Peter 3, 15 uh, and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So it's, it's not limiting this to what Paul has written. It's not list, limiting this to uh, what is uh, hard to understand. It's talking about this tendency to twist the scriptures, to make them fit what we want to say. Proof text. Have an idea, and then go to the scripture to find some place that supports what my idea is, rather than simply just going to the scripture and say, what does it say, and then how should I think as a result of what the scripture says. Eight. The word of God surpasses the benefit of general revelation because it enables one to have clear understanding of moral and ethical issues. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes. It causes us to see moral issues clearly. Clearly. It's talking about the conviction that comes, the light that goes on in our, in our minds. I'll say more about this in the application. Furthermore, the word of God sheds light on the consequences of our actions. So, application. And it's application from Psalm 119. Meaning these aren't my applications. These are the applications Psalm 119 makes. The next section are the applications. This is what the Word of God says about the Word of God. A. Application regarding the value of God's Word. God's Word is to be valued above all else. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. The Word of God is... Valuable, valuable. Uh, that whole concept, more valuable than gold. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, it's talking about riches and, and the way in which people find safety in their riches. They, they, they think that they are going to be secure because of their, their riches, because they can buy their way out of trouble or difficulty. If their house burns down, if they have enough money, they can rebuild it. If your car gets totaled, You got enough money, you can go out and you can replace it. If you get sick, if you don't have enough money, you can go to the hospital and supposedly get better. And so people really value money because they want to be protected. They want to be protected. And that's why in our history, on our currency, it says, In God we trust. It's not that we're believing that this money is going to keep us safe. God keeps us safe. God is the one that we are trusting in. That that's our greatest source of security. That there can be nothing more valuable than God's word. And then it goes on to say, sweeter than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. It's a delight. It's a delight. The word of God is a is a delight. You know, we all get tired. We, we all face issues and problems, and life isn't easy. And if you're not real careful, you can get down pretty fast. You can get discouraged. You can think about what people said, what people have done. You can think about things that you've gone through. You can think about your aches and pains. So many things. And life can really as I say, get you down. But the word of God can bring rejoicing to your heart. You know, this morning's message, you know, I don't know if that meant much to you, but, you know, you got to hear something for 45 minutes, and I got to say something that I've been thinking about for hours on end, In reality, the last few years, I've been trying to put some of these things together in my own heart and mind. And this week was just a great week for me of just thinking about who our God is and how he condescends to us and how he welcomes us, how he forgives us, how he puts up with us. That his compassions are new every morning. They fail not. That he does not grow weary of us. He does not tire of us. And it was just so refreshing. That's the benefits of being in the word of God. Application regarding the benefits of God's word. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. The Word of God teaches us the importance of guarding our hearts and minds before God. It teaches us the consequences of our actions. It teaches us about what is right or wrong. So it provides us the warnings. Verse 11 Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. There are benefits. There are benefits. And sometimes we wonder if there's any benefit. Is there any benefit in serving God? Is there any benefit in living righteously? Look at what I've done, and it doesn't seem to profit. And Psalm 78 is a great psalm for that. (laughs) Uh, It it talks about how God is good to Israel, but as for me, (laughs) my feet were almost gone. I almost slipped. I started envying the wicked. Do you you ever envy the non-believer, thinking that they don't have the problems that the believer has? Have you ever thought about what you've given up or what you've, quote, sacrificed in order to serve the Lord? Again, grow weary. Well, in keeping them, there's great reward, there's great benefit, there's great value. So here's the application, final application, response to God's word. First, we should pray that we would be convicted by God's word. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Hidden faults. Hidden from whom? They certainly aren't hidden from God. They're hidden from us. Hidden from us. One of the great benefits of the Word of God is that it reveals to us our own hearts. It can bring us to a place of conviction. We can see in ourselves things that we've never seen before. Now, Romans chapter 2 talks about being without excuse because in Romans chapter 2, it's talking about condemning other people and you condemn other people, and you do the same thing. So the idea is, if you, find, if you can see that that's wrong in them, you ought to be able to see it's wrong in you. But the problem is, we don't see that we do it. We don't make the association. We think we're different. We think we don't act like that. We don't talk like that. We don't behave like that. They're bad, but we're not, because we're not like that. But the word of God can strip away the onion of our heart, and lay bare, the reality is, I guess I am like that. I guess I do think like that sometimes. I guess I I do act like that sometimes. It It can reveal our hearts. The word of God says, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God and only his word can reveal it. It sheds light upon our hearts. It brings conviction. Secondly, we should pray that we be obedient to God's word. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of the great transgression. Presumptuous sins are willful sins of disobedience. But in the context here, it's talking about what we usually think of little sins. Sins that most people don't worry much about. Pride, arrogance, the tongue. And the danger is that when the word of God reveals and convicts us, That we don't repent, that we don't yield, we don't confess, we don't acknowledge. And so, this verse says, keep your servant from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over thee, let them not reign over me, and if that is true, then I will be blameless and innocent of the great transgression. In other words, sin grows, disobedience grows. The more insensitive we become to sin, the more insensitive we become to sin. I talked about five consciences, a good conscience, a pure conscience, a weak conscience. And the scripture actually talks about a seared conscience, a place like a serial killer that can kill people and not think twice about it. It just grows dead. It's amazing, it's amazing what depths Christians can go into sin if they don't put the brakes on early. If we are not quick to confess and quick to repent. If we keep a short leash on ourselves, if, if we are regularly asking God to examine our hearts, and if we are careful about being obedient to the scriptures... It will keep us from doing the what we think of as the great sins. We don't just fall into sin like it's a cliff. You know, you're walking along and, and there's this trap and all of a sudden you fall into it. No, no, no. The reality is sin is a slippery slope. We start going downhill and and we aren't careful we start going down that hill faster and faster. It gets steeper and steeper, and the decline gets worse and worse. And we end up at the bottom in a real mess. Which brings us to number three. We should pray that our words would be consistent with God's words. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a progression. How are you going to know your errors? The scripture will reveal them. What should you do when the scriptures reveal them? You should confess. You should repent. You should be concerned about going down a slippery slope. So here's the last application. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Not the great sins. (laughs) Not, not, Not the murder. But let the things I think about. Reflect. It's not just talking about pornography. It's talking about all of life, the way we view life, the way we view God. This spirit that we emanate. And the Word of God, of course, tells us that from the heart flows our words and from the heart flows our actions. So, deep down inside, what is our attitude towards God? What's our attitude towards the Word? What's our attitude towards our brother and sister in Christ? Maybe we don't shoot them, but inwardly, do we harbor animosity? Do we harbor a will? Do we think bad things about them privately? If left go unchecked, it's a downward hill. It's a downward hill. And so it says in verse 14 that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My rock and my redeemer, the words of my mouth. We started off with general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech. Night unto night, showeth forth knowledge. Creation speaks. But you know how God has given that the lost world is going to be saved? It's by us. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. We are constantly, constantly like the sun and the stars, 24-7, we are constantly revealing something about God in our speech. The way we talk is telling the world something about who God is, this God that we are claiming to serve, what God is like, what God approves and disapproves of. So it says, let the words of my mouth Meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May how I speak be pleasing to you. Because how I speak is showing forth your glory, your transformation of my heart, your transformation of my life, your redeeming work. And then I have this wonderful opportunity to actually proclaim. God's word, the message of salvation. So we delight in special revelation because we get to share in the imparting of special revelation to a lost world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness, and we ask that you would help us. Help us to prize your word, and not just to prize it intellectually or theologically and declare that it is without error, and declare that we accept its authority. Lord, may we truly, truly value your word, may we spend the time in your word, may we see it as of great value, of great benefit, may we delight in your word, may it be sweet to us, Uh, Lord, may we allow it to speak to our hearts and reveal our hearts to us, and may we manifest the repentance, and Seek to bring ourselves in accordance with what your word of God says. And, O Lord, guard our hearts. The meditation and the words that we speak may they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.